everyone. This is Mike Sedam with the Crucial Talks podcast. Last week, I spent a couple of days at the Naval Postgraduate School for an alumni conference and had the opportunity to meet with my former thesis advisors, some colleagues, and friends. Ultimately, because of the nature of what we believe about human behavior, the conversation turned to what all of you get to hear about on a weekly basis, and that is social identity. Much of what I speak about is overlaid on top of this concept of the social identity approach, and this social identity approach is made up of two academic theories, self-categorization theory and social identity theory. I don't want to lose you on the academics of the theories, but basically, here's what I believe. I think the roles we choose to adopt, the groups we identify ourselves with, and the ones that we place others into, and those behaviors assigned to those roles and groups drive behavior. And they drive behavior because they impact decision-making parts of our brain, where emotions are based. The week prior to that meeting, I had an opportunity to attend some training. It was required, and we do it every year, on crowd control and civil disturbance. We talk about things like peaceful protests and riots. Now, in this episode, I'm going to blend those two things. We're going to talk a little bit about the social identity approach, and we're going to talk a little bit about mob behavior and crowd control. We're going to do it because we're able to look through the lens of identity and we're able to do it in a way that helps us in our day-to-day groups, our organizations, our families, our communities. All this means that I'm going to discuss the power of in-groups and out-groups and how we can use this to have a positive impact so that we can prevent negative in-group, out-group responses, such as violence, aggression, conflict. These concepts, although applied to large physical groups, can be applied to your daily life. Now, there are three key takeaways you're going to get from this episode. The first, a shared identity exists before people behave as a group. All that means is, if you're going to get group behavior, they have to share a certain identity, and that identity allows them to behave as a group. The second takeaway, people don't lose themselves in the moment. They're actually expressing social identity when they take part in crowd behavior. What this means is people in a mob, in a riot, they're not acting as mindless zombies as part of a horde. They're not just following. It's not just mindless. They're actually expressing social identity. The third takeaway is that the farther you are from the crowd's shared identity, the harder it is to affect behavior of another group. So the further apart an in-group and out-group are, the harder it is to affect identity because there's more conflict there. In order to understand this a little bit better, let's take a quick look at the National Football League. On each team, there are 53 players. Those players are broken up into offense, defense, and special teams. There are 32 teams in the National Football League, and those teams are split in half into two conferences. When you watch a football game, you can see the different groups that form, and each has its own behaviors. The way the offense behaves is different than the defense, which is different than special teams. Each group has its own identity, and with those identities comes expected behaviors. The teams have a number of things that separate them from each other. For example, they're identified by their geographical locations and a team name. They have different colors they use to separate themselves. They have different histories. They use different play calling, and their fans behave differently. Fans of different teams also have different shared identities. In some cases, there is a very strong tie to the team, while in others, it's a little looser. The key to understand is that when you are wearing the same jersey or colors of the person sitting next to you in a stadium or in a sports bar, you now have a shared social identity. 
you belong to the same in-group. The team jerseys and colors are an easy way to consider indicators that we, as social animals, use to figure out who is with us and who is against us, who's our enemy, who's our friend. When we are with a group, this is the first stage of taking group action. We have a shared identity, and because of that shared identity, we can now engage in behavior that goes along with that identity. Listen to this quick clip from Invincible, a movie based on Vince Papali, a Philadelphia native who was able to join the Eagles. Now, I know I've used a clip with Mark Wahlberg in it before. I'm kind of a fan, but he makes good movies. So please just give it a listen. It'll help us understand what we're talking about in today's episode. Just want to thank you for sticking with me for this long, Coach. Why don't you hang on to that for a few more months? Last time you've gone two days without you needing a jump. Sorry, I tried Pete. Are you kidding me? This car's worse than yours. You'll both be stuck here. Your cable's good. Looks like you got a charge. Hey, buddy, you sure this thing won't start? You kidding me? You kidding with me right now? Nope. You're a freaking eagle, aren't you? You're a freaking Philadelphia eagle! I want you to know first. This is huge. This is bigger than when Tony Panelato came back from Nam with the Bronze Star. Give me the keys. Go to Max's. You're buying. Hey. How you doing with the strike and everything, all right? I'm good now. I'm good now. In this clip, we can hear how important the Eagles are to Vince's friend Tommy. It's even more important to him than what is going on at work. So what's important for us to understand is the fact that these types of superordinate identities can transcend other groups people belong to. And it can do it in a quick way. It can do it when they're just together for a short amount of time, or it can do it if they're fans for life. As most of you probably know, the Eagles played the Patriots in this year's Super Bowl. Important for us to note is that there is a strong identity with both teams. However, the Eagles not only had a shared identity amongst their fans, there was also an underlying superordinate goal of winning the Super Bowl, which was made even more important as they adopted additional group identities as being underdogs. The Eagles ultimately won the Super Bowl. After they won the Super Bowl, a number of celebrations started in Philadelphia. If you watch any of the video clips of those celebrations, you see diversity in the people who are celebrating. You can imagine these people celebrating together work different jobs, have different education levels, have different income levels, and are of different races. But there is one thing that is clear. They are all identifying with each other as Eagles fans. 
As the celebrations continued, a few of them got out of hand. We saw though, there are thousands of fans who flooded Philly streets overnight. Some of those celebrations getting rowdy. I don't know what you would expect <laughs> other than that. But Gio Benitez, he is there. And Gio, these fans were very excited about their first Super Bowl win in Philly. They were, Michael. Good morning to you. Listen, I got here at 1 a.m. It felt like the party was just getting started here in Philadelphia, okay? But like you said, perhaps some fans got a little too rowdy, okay? We're in front of the Macy's. Check this out. Here, these doors were just completely smashed. These windows here just smashed. You have glass everywhere, okay? I want to go ahead and show you this video right now because the crowds were just massive. Thousands and thousands of people were out here. Uh, but, you know, there's another piece of video, and that shows all of uh, the chaos that was happening in some parts of Philadelphia, okay? You had these cars that were set on fire. People were sliding down these poles. And over at the Ritz-Carlton, we have video of this. Uh, people climbed on top of the awning, and that awning actually collapsed. So they got uh, some injuries there. You see that collapse right there. So you had some injuries. Thankfully, no deaths. But back out here live in Philadelphia, you can see how proud people are. Fly, Eagles, fly. The city is proud. Uh, that victory parade is scheduled to be sometime this week, perhaps right here in front of City Hall. Michael. Now, this is a good case study for us because we want to see how a shared identity can cause people to behave in ways we may not otherwise expect. Some people think this is due to people losing their sense of self when they engage in crowd behavior or a mob mentality. This is not actually the case. In reality, they are behaving with complete sense of self because they have adopted the identity and the behaviors that go with that identity. At work, they may not jump on a pole and flap their arms like an eagle or overturn a car, but identifying as an Eagles fan during celebrations like this, where others are also identifying as Eagles fans celebrating a win, allows them to act this way. Now, I know this is an extreme example, but I use extreme examples so that we can understand how people, as storytelling social animals, use the roles they adopt to make sense of what is going on around them, and then the decisions they make based on that context. If you apply this to your family, your community, or your workplace, you can see that these concepts fit in all of those areas also. So now, let's get into the takeaways of this episode by going back to my experience as I was getting annual training on dealing with protests and riots. The instructor made a very applicable comment. He mentioned that professional appearance, standardized uniforms, and how officers acted can impact the behavior of the crowd. What this means to us is that when we are dealing with crowd behavior, whether this is your kids at home or employees at the worksite or office, their behavior is based on how they perceive their in-group and also the out-groups. If you're a supervisor or manager, you may be part of the out-group. However, there is not a bright line separation. It's much more nuanced than that. It's based on context. The greater the gap between the two groups, the greater the difference can be in behavior. Going back to the NFL, we can see this in rivalries. When there is a strong rivalry, the play is a lot tougher. There's a lot more penalties. There's things that go on with how they talk to each other, how they behave toward each other. Because of that, more significant difference between an in-group and an out-group, between the teams because of that rivalry. So those teams that are behaving that way toward each other are not being mindless about it. They're being part of that in-group. And the in-group, out-group relationship is what's causing that behavior. So similarly, when we look at crowds that start violent, aggressive behavior, 
we can't think that they have lost their cognitive ability all of a sudden. That all suddenly, sudden they're mindless zombies just following the horde. That's not correct. In other words, the idea that they just aren't thinking straight is wrong. In fact, crowd behavior is not really different from other group behaviors. Crowds aren't lemmings. In fact, they behave with a shared identity. In the training I went to, we talked about civil disturbance. And we talked about the fact that if officers look professional and not like they're ready to go to war, crowds respond differently. This is true. And in my opinion, this is true because the more one group appears closer to another group improves the chance they can have some common ground. So if officers show up in similar uniforms, looking like they may normally do when they're on regular patrol, there's a greater chance to impact the other group because the two groups are a little closer to each other, at least in mindset. Think about this the next time you have to deal with another group. By bringing your identity closer to theirs, you increase the chance of cooperation. Ultimately, a shared identity will help people work together. But there are two distinct groups. You can increase the chance of them working together by attempting to show your group being a little closer to theirs. There will still be an in-group, out-group interaction. But the context of that interaction can change dramatically. So in closing, we want to talk about these three takeaways. The first one was a shared identity has to exist before people behave as a group. Like our example of the Eagles fans after the Super Bowl. They came from diverse backgrounds, diverse educations, diverse income levels, but they gelled together under that identity of Eagles fan. The second takeaway Crowd behavior is not caused because the people in the crowd are mindless zombies following the horde. Rather, people are showing their similar group longing when they take part in crowd behavior. It's not mindless. It's identity. And the last takeaway, when trying to get a group to work with you, try to get closer to them and show some common ground. The farther you are from the crowd's shared identity, the harder it is to affect the behavior. So those are the three key takeaways. Just remember, human beings are social storytelling animals that make decisions and make sense of the world around them based on the identities they adopt and the identity that's important at the time, given the context of a situation. Thanks again for listening, and I welcome any questions you might have. Feel free to visit www.crucialtalks.com to find out more about me or the presentations I provide. I'm available to answer any questions through the website, email, LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook. Have a great week. And remember, if we want to understand behavior, we need to understand what drives people.